Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 179. I'm Steve Burnham, and um, our listeners may or may not know that uh, members of Tax and Super Australia get um, six helpline calls a year where they can, uh, members can ring in and with a, a question, perhaps a curly one that one of their clients has posed, and um, they can ring our uh, tax technical team here at Tax and Super Australia and, and get some guidance. Uh, not advice, I must emphasise, but some guidance on... Um, on their situation. So every now and then it's pertinent and it's uh, uh, revealing to touch base with the tax tech team um, to see what's uh, what's been of interest out there. So we have uh, we have Michael McCarthy here. Hello Michael. Hi Steve, how are you going? Uh, to tell us all about some of the uh, some of the issues. So what's been going down Michael? Thanks Steve. Yeah look we get varied queries as they come along so uh, there's been a few there. We thought one that's might be topical to members of solar panel uh, installation, the oh, tax yeah. treatment of that. Yep, yep. So, uh, and that's something that's going to have a different uh, tax implication, whether a, a private residence installs the panels or a business. Oh, right, yep. Yes. Now, with, with a business installing them, uh, they're likely going to get a subsidy when they um, sign the contract. That's, that's from the government, installation From the government. Okay. And that's, uh, that can be like in the form of renewable energy certificates. Right, right. Yep. And then they can reduce the cost of the system. Right, yep. Now, there's a few tax quirks with those. One is that with the subsidy or the renewable energy certificates, they can be uh, either taken by the business, the purchaser, and register themselves, so it's like something they've got okay, that yep. they can trade in, or they can sign the agreement with the installer and say, look, that'll reduce the cost of the... Uh, system, yeah, and we'll pay the balance and or finance the balance, and take it from there. And what does the certificate stay with the installer? Or? And and then they're assigned over to the installer. Okay, that's interesting. So and then they'll they'll use them or register as they wish. Okay. Um, yep. So as far as the business goes, they're saying we're in the business of doing what we're doing. We're just going to get the discount on the solar panels. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the system, and simply. Yeah, acquire it less, less the recoupment, yeah, the recouped yep. amount. So recoupment is the same as a um, subsidy, is it? That's a, sorry. yeah. So, so look, with the with the recoupment, and that's a good point because with recoupment subsidies, or you know, the question then becomes, is it accessible? That's what oh, the business wants to know. That's true. So is it accessible? So with this case we had, we we drilled down into an ATO ID right two thousand and ten two one eight right, and that. Is accessible recoupments granted the right to create renewable energy certificates? Okay. So they, that specifically deals in that, and basically the ID saying that it says that it's an accessible recoupment. Okay, right. Is, so, there, is there a section of the Act that people can refer to? And Yep, and the section there is 2020 okay. of the 97 Act. Right. So with that... Uh, we go to that and we say, okay, that's accessible. So then we've got a situation. I'll just throw some figures in, Steve. All right, to, thanks. Yep. And I know when you're listening and having figures is a bit awkward, but well, just to... Hopefully people are out there with a pad and a pencil <laughs> and, and a pen and a pen. Um, write it down. You won't. <laughs> yeah, but so I just wanted to give a, like, let's say an example. If the system costs $25,000... Yep. 
Now, the recoupment, let's say that's $7,000, and that brings a net cost to the purchaser of $18,000. Okay. Now, I've used that example because I'm looking at the $20,000, 100% write-off oh, right that off. small okay. business can get. So I thought, I'll get one that's the, the, the gross cost is over twenty, but after the recoupment, it's under twenty, And therefore, you can write it off? Yeah, so that would, you'd like to think you can. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Tell us more. <laughs> but unfortunately... In this situation, even though the net cost of the purchaser, and he's either paid the amount out of 18000 or financed the amount for $18,000, yep. um, we've got to sort of work through and say, okay, the, the recoupment's accessible. So right. we've said that under that ATO ID. Yep. Um, just on that then, you know, that's a bit of bad news, but then we say, look, how much of it is accessible? Because normally with a, a recoupment... Um, it's the amount you receive if you're going to incur the expenditure within the year. Right, yep. It offsets each other, and it's 100% accessible in that financial year. Right, yep. But um, but in a situation where the recoupment's relating to a depreciable item, right, then the recoupment's accessible over the period of the depreciation claim, so you're not hit in the one hit. Okay, yep. For the so in over the, the what the financial year or the quarter or sorry when, uh, when yeah, that so yeah so like let's say going to that example of let's say if the uh, if the item was under twenty thousand mm-hmm. a small business could write that off if they choose to under the small business depreciation oh. rules yep so if they write it all off in the one hit then the accessible recoupment would be accessible in the one hit oh I see yeah but yep. that's for items with a depreciable cost of less than. 20,000 if we're using the small business books. Right. Now, but in this case, the recoupment gets added, you know, it's like, it's nearly like, an example might be like a car trade in, you know, if you trade your car in, you'll pay the dealer the balance. Yep. But there's a value of the trade in. Right, yeah. And you add the two together and that's the cost of the, the new car. Yep, yep. So this is the same. So, okay. So the cost of the system is 25,000, the recoupment's 7,000, which brings it under 18, but for depreciation purposes the cost is 25. Okay, still the whole lot. The whole lot. I see. Yeah, so so how does that tie in? Well, it means it's over the 20,000, so the 25, again, using the small business rules, the business will get the 15%, if they choose that option, the 15% write-off in the first year, Mm -hmm. and then the next year they'll get 30% of the written down value. Yep. So that means the accessible recoupment will be will match that. So the first year depreciation of 15% on 25,000, the accessible recoupment will be that same amount. I see, all right, yeah. And then there'll be a balance to carry forward the next year. Okay, gee, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have assumed that, but that's the way the rules work. That's, yeah, so that's yeah. how it um, it applies right. there. Uh, the, the other thing just on that is sometimes when you buy items of a, equipment, sometimes you could argue that there's more than one item you're buying. Right, yep. You know, like like if you're buying uh, your solar panel, you're going to have the, uh, you know, the panels, the inverters. Oh, the inverter, yeah, all, all that. All that good stuff. And yep. sometimes you can argue that that you're buying, you know, like probably a, an example is a computer and a printer, you know, package. Yeah, you go off yeah. and you've bought your package and you've paid... Uh, you know, whatever for it, and they're too, especially especially when the rules was depreciation was the limit was a thousand dollars for oh, small course. business. Yeah. It might be like you've bought a yeah. computer for nine hundred dollars and a printer for nine hundred. Yeah, yeah. Or you bought the package for eighteen hundred. Right. But the tax man lets you um, split those as two separate. Oh, items. good. Okay. Yeah. That, that's interesting because when you're doing your 
annual deductions. I mean, you, you get the plans now where it wraps up your phone and your, you know, internet and all these things are in one package that you buy from a supplier, um, but they're kind of different bits to the one package. It's, um, yes. It makes it... Yeah, 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 and that's a different another, yeah, approach. Example. Yeah, like software you might buy mm. Um, mm. And, and break it up so that if you, yeah. you know, especially when you're trying to get under the 18,000 per, yeah. so, per So unit. getting back to solar panels, how does that... Yeah, now we've led that up to think there's some good news, but there oh. probably isn't for solar panels. That was the reason I mentioned oh, that, right. was that, you know, you know, is it arguable that maybe you can split it up that way with all the different, uh, you know, the talk here about manting frames, wiring, inverters, and all that sort of thing. Right. You know, and at the end of the day, and there is a um, tax ruling on that, TR 2017-D1. Right. And that zeroes in, there's an example, uh, example number 13... Okay. And that does talk about solar power t uh, system, the tax treatments. Yep. And it goes on to say that you know, even though you're buying various sort of components and, and that sort of thing, the, that ruling says that really it's one functional system oh, okay. only. <clears throat> yep. So in, in that ruling there's examples of different items where you can argue there's more than one. Right. Um, but in this case, the, they say it's all one functional item. So basically that ruling that you mentioned, what is it, 217 uh, D1? TR 2017 D1. Says it's all one package. At example 13, yep. Okay, yeah. right. Well, what it does go on to say is that if then you have to add to it, Add to the system. Add yep. to the system, okay. yep. yep. So you've spent the 25 in the first year. Yep. So let's say you might add another $8,000 the next year. Yep. <clears throat> they'll accept that that addition is a separate item. Oh, there you go. All separate right. item. So you get, you get something yeah. that... Uh, so in a way, yeah. if you bought, say, four solar panels and the system set it up, and the next year you buy sort of another 10 for the other side of the roof and another 10 the next year, you could each year... If it's perhaps, a, yeah, and if yeah, so that's a, a para. I'm not uh, saying people should do that, but I'm just saying yeah. <laughs> theoretically, that sounds like what could happen. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and, that, and that's at para five there where it says, um, uh, sorry, not at para five. That's at uh, seventy two. So if anybody's going to the ruling there on para seventy two, yep. it gives that example. Like twelve months later, oh, they yeah. expand oh, the okay. system. They buy two additional solar panels. Yep, um, and they're connected to the system that's already there. Yep. So in that situation. They're not considered part of the original system. Yep. Separate existence. That's what it says here. Separate function. Uh, uh, no, and can function with a range within the, that system. Yep. So they add it on and say, uh, yep, that's if that's, that's less than 20 the next year, that's a Hey, right. presto. Yep. Yeah. Write it off. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. So that's how that one okay. goes. Um, look, the only point, this is more just sometimes if people finance the solar um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, power systems, uh, whether and then it's the, if it's a finance of a um, chattel mortgage or principal and interest tax treatment. Yep. Sometimes whether you do see a lease, you know, it's probably not as common these days. But okay, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Leasing situation is a hundred percent tax deduction for the lease payments. Right. You just have to be a bit careful with looking at the actual lease. There's if the residual payment, the final payment, doesn't meet a minimum residual amount. Yeah. yeah you're probably going to be stymied getting the lease payments as tax deductible and for tax oh, you might right. have to treat it as like principal and interest. Okay, okay. That's good because um, I mean I, I think a lot of people would <coughs> borrow to do this sort of thing. They're not going to have that yes. cash lying around but uh, that's a good point. Yeah, so and there's an IT and this is getting yep. back to nearly day one. There's an IT 28 that 28. Talks, <laughs> talks about okay. um, minimum residuals. So yep. I suppose what they're saying is if you've got a if you've got a uh, 
an item of equipment that had an effective life of seven years or so, but right. you've got a two-year lease, yep. you're getting all the lease payments as a tax deduction in two years. Okay. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's a little bit like the tax man likes to maybe see... Well, he, he states the minimum residual so that it's got a... It's a way of getting it tax deductible... Oh, right. ...earlier than... Than would otherwise than be the case. Than would otherwise be the case. <laughs> all right, Michael. Well, that's, um, that's all very enlightening. And, and I've heard over the uh, petition... There's been quite a few calls about GST free sale of a going concern. I've heard a few conversations about that uh, coming in from members. Yes, um, yeah, no, there's been a few on those. Give so. us a few of the stories. What have they been asking about? Um, yeah, so look, one query we had, and just before I go through the query, I just thought we might even just list what are the conditions oh, sure, yeah, for it. Idea. Just to, um, so with the GST free going concern uh, to be eligible for that, yep. um, so that GST doesn't have to be charged on the business sale yep the conditions that need to exist is the buyer must be registered or required to be registered for gst right the buyer and seller must have agreed in writing that the sale is a going concern okay often that's in the the contract contract yep the seller must be obliged to carry on the business until the date of sale yep and the seller must supply the buyer with all things necessary for the continued operations of the business of course yeah all right now, it's probably the third one that's probably even raised a few queries. So the seller must be obliged to carry on the business until the date of sale. That's an interesting one. So what, um, the seller can't have a little holiday before he comes <laughs> up? Um, the seller, yeah, so he's got to, no, he's got to work away until um, sale date yeah, okay. um, to carry it on. But the, the queries that, be, that are coming, and they're from the sellers, but they're more to do with, okay, but what if the buyer doesn't, continue on in the same manner we are continuing on it uh, after the sale day after the sale oh okay and is it an issue or uh well and it's an issue for the seller because the seller being gst free the seller's probably concerned that he doesn't want anything to go wrong well, you know, no. there's quite a number of conditions and he doesn't want anything to go wrong and if it does he doesn't want to be liable for the gst that should have been well, no, collected. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. So they sort of really want to dot their eyes. Yep. And sometimes, um, yeah. Even some of the the fourth one, the seller must supply the buyer with all things necessary for the continued operations of the business. Yeah. Now I don't have the ruling with me at the moment on that, but there's 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 quite you know strict conditions like all things necessary. Like what are all things necessary? As in consumables, like coffee and grounds and as well as the equipment and yeah yeah all yeah that. so it's like what is and you know just from memory i remember you know one business it was like that it was considered the vehicles were all things necessary or the sometimes okay. they may not be so it oh. depends what sort of business you've got like if you've got a yeah, of course you know a mobile panel beater or something you know yeah. his van is you know might be considered all things necessary yeah yeah, yeah. um somebody else with a you know as normal sedan that drives around might you know, is not considered all things no, necessary no. but but there are all these things in tax that arise that you think oh gee i don't want to be caught out if i haven't ticked all the boxes no no of course so one of the members rang and his query was okay we can um we can satisfy those but he was talking about farmland uh, okay yep and um yeah, his concern was a bit what if what if the uh, purchaser doesn't use the land for primary production okay and most of these things are probably to do with property because you know farmland you might yeah uh, of course 
you might... Well, you could subdivide it or if, if different possible, purposes. do different things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Park your cars on it, I don't know. <laughs> park your cars, um, <laughs> hobby farm. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it just makes it different. So he was a bit concerned. I thought if we use this GST-free going concern, yeah. um, you know, what, what else do we need? So... Um, with that, you know, we located some further conditions that actually just relate to farmland. Oh, okay. Yep. So, and, and what it is is the farming business must be carried on the land for at least five years before the sale. Okay, that's okay. so there's a time thing, okay. Yeah, because then you've got that's in the seller's court, so he said, yep. okay, that's fine. But the next one is the buyer intends that a farming business will be carried out on the land. Okay, yep. And there is an exemption for farmland and associates for residential purposes but that's oh, for that select like developers or whatever um yeah oh that's yeah more no more to do with um if they use it to you know, build a property for one of the family members or something for private okay. purposes right. there's an exemption there but the um so the, the buyer must intend to carry on a farming business yes but does it does it actually have to carry on a farming business or was it, does it not come into it in this case Good point, <laughs> because uh, the, the, from the seller's perspective, yep. if he reads that, he says the buyer intends to. So Oh, yeah, yeah, intention's like, a big thing in tax law, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, it okay. is, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it is for some other things, yeah, like intention. Yeah. What did you plan on doing when you first dug <laughs> the first bit of soil to build this property? Like, what was your intention to what? rental property, live in it? Yep. So, yeah, so... So does that mean that it has to be uh, on the record? That, that is it the intention? Do you have to have, to have that in writing? That's what we ended up finding is probably very useful. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. And with that one, because that was his query, really, what, you know, it's an intention of someone else. Yeah, that's know, true. How can I can you prove confirm that? that prove mm. that. Um, you know, because he doesn't want anything to come back to bite him. Oh yeah. So look, there is like, like there's a lot of th- there's a lot of guidance out there. I suppose there's rulings and IDs and uh, practice PCGs or losing track of what they all are. But there's oh, lots right. of guidance out there, fact yep. sheets and everything. Okay. There for pr- primary producers is there's a primary production partnership issue register with the ATO. Oh. And it's got a QC16510. And it's actually got lots, it's quite lengthy, it's got lots of different uh, issues that arise yeah. and, and answers to those queries that have arisen. So if there's any sort of, uh, any uh, prime producers out there, it's a, it is a good um, good guidance. Okay, covers so, all the bases. Sort of. Yeah, it covers lots of, lots of different lots points. Of okay. But in this one, there was down at 6.2.4. Right. And it, what it says here is, with the intention, the vendor should seek evidence to demonstrate that a reasonable inquiry has been made about the purchaser's intention. Yeah. Okay. What's reasonable will depend on all the circumstances. So, and you know, they're really saying you need to ask, number one, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what are your intentions? It then says that a written statement or warranty from the purchaser stating the intention, yeah. that should be sufficient to demonstrate that, um, that the seller's done everything he can to be satisfied. Okay, there's the intent. Yep. Um, what the buyer does after that's it's up, their up business. to them, but still yeah, can't yeah. control that. Okay. But at least the seller's got something there to say. Look, if anything ever went a bit pear shaped down the track, right? Um, that's his proof to to hopefully not have to cough up any of the GST. Of the, that, of the, yeah, duct GST. Okay. Yeah, that the ATO said otherwise maybe should have been paid. Right. Right. Okay. Now, now with <clears> that, that just led us to. 
a division of the GST Act, Division 135, mm-hmm. and this is going then away from the seller, but thought it might be um, useful just to, for the people listening, just for the to see what happens if the purchaser doesn't carry out his intent. Oh, yeah. What happens to him, you mean? What can yes. Be okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that might, might be something that just sort of flows on because uh, this has arose with another member query. So okay, right. So we'll tie these in. So it's, it's saying that, because intent is one thing, you could have your intent on day one, but that doesn't mean for the next 10 years you carry out that intention no, in no. all good faith. That's true. That's true. Well, things, circumstances change. Circumstances change. Yeah. Yeah, so Division 135 is throwing it back on the purchaser and saying, look, you've got this GST free, but if, you, uh, if your use changes mm-hmm. from not being a taxable supply or it's... It's like you've, I suppose they're saying you've got out of GST that you would have had to have otherwise paid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Division 30, 135 says that there's adjustments to be made. So the right. purchaser then can be required to pay GST as an increasing adjustment. Okay, right. Adjustment to what, sorry? A, an adjustment to the GST that I suppose is that arguably should have been paid. So let, let's say oh. the example of the, uh, let's say the, fa- the farm, yeah. but it could be property developing and somebody's transfers an enterprise in property yeah. that the buyer uses for private purposes, let's say. Okay, yeah. So, uh, well, sorry, it did satisfy the GST-free going concern principle at the time. At the time, yeah. At yeah. the time. Back then. But since then... Yep. Or it may be half of the purchase was used for private purposes. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah. So then there's sort of half of the because the idea behind behind the GST free going concern is yep. that the seller collects the money, and the purchaser claims it on their best. Okay. So they cancel each other out. Yeah. Yep. But if you've got somebody buying something for private use, yep, they're not going to claim the GST on. Oh, of course not, because there's nothing. Yeah. I see yeah, what you mean. Or, yeah. Or, or, or half of it, depending yep. on what the use is. So. So then, I suppose, if you look at the overall thing, you've got GST collect should have been collected that much. Yep. GST claimed on the bass yes. would have only been a that much. Amount. Yeah. And I'm sorry, listeners, I'm putting <laughs> uh, signs with my hands up. Yeah, yes, and realizing you're wide not open hand this. and then a sh- half a hand yeah. held up. So, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Division One Thirty Five is 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 saying there's an adjustment to be made. Okay. If you split the farm property if in half happens. and use half as a right. private adjustment or that sort of thing. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now th- that Division One Thirty Five talks about an initial adjustments. So. Mm-hmm. The intent may have changed, mm-hmm. but again, this is the the purchaser side of thing. It also talks about and there's Division One Thirty Five Ten, I think, and that refers us to Division One Twenty Nine. And what it's really saying is Division One Thirty Five Ten is saying, you, if you carry on, like years later, you yep. may change. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. the use. There's that time period where you may, in the future, have to make a increasing adjustment in the future okay in yep. the future yep so it it and look i'll refer to our book here because our book the text summary yeah the text summary on page 1331 for all those that have the book it talks about the changes of in the extent of credible use so it talks about changing from something that was business related yep that's now private related. Right, okay. And it basically basically says there's adjustment periods. So oh, good. I was going to say there's a any time limit on, on this holding it for yeah. business purposes and 
converting to private purposes. Okay, but what does yeah. it say? And what it says is there's there's time limits and there's dollar figures. Right. So I'm using we're talking about the farming situation, but because it can apply now, Division One Thirty Five Ten saying go to Division 129. Yep. So it's saying go to that, and 129 says there are dollar amounts and time limits. Yep. Now, if you bought something for less than $1,000, there's no adjustment required. No, okay. So if you bought bought a computer for, for the business with all good intent to use it for business, yep. six months later it might be used for private. Yep. As far as GST goes, there's no adjustment. Okay. Your intent at the outset was... For business, and it was that way for six months. Uh, it, w- it was that way. The intent: it's less than a thousand dollars or less. Yep. No adjustment. Then it talks about tables between one thousand and five thousand. Yep. There's two adjustment periods. It talks about five thousand to four hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Yeah. Five adjustment periods. It talks about five hundred thousand or more. Ten adjustment periods. Oh, okay. okay. So, getting back to the property scenarios. Yep. You know, five hundred thousand or more. There's ten adjustment periods. Okay. Yeah, meaning ten years, or uh, I'd like to say ten years, but it, how how it works is an adjustment period starts twelve months after you first buy it. Okay, yeah. All so right. so if you buy something in September two thousand and eighteen, yep, it starts twelve months after that. So that's September two thousand and nineteen. Yep, and you make the adjustment on the period ending the next June. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> so, the next June. So, All right. Yeah. Yep. So that's the first adjustment period. So yep. that first one goes for quite a long time. Yeah, doesn't it? And, and then after that, it's every June. Right. Okay. So right. yeah. So I just, oh, I see. Just, you, so you skip forward to the next to the end, June, the end of financial year. Yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so the first one, yeah, as I say, September to September is twelve months, but there might be another nine months to get to to, to the, the end of June. Yeah. That's yep. the first year. Yep, yep. So that's the adjustment period number one. Yep. And then add another nine years. For property that's worth more than five hundred thousand dollars, right? Which is most properties you'd think. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was all mentioned purely that from a GST going concern, GST free point of view. Yep. The buyer's got to look out for the uh, any adjustments, any adjustments to GST okay. if yep. there's changes. So, like properties become private. Uh, all these things oh, happen, I'm sure. They, they become rentals, mm, so they're bought mm. as a business, as a GST-free going concern, yeah, and yeah. then eventually they're rental properties, that sort of thing. So that was mentioned there. Yep, yep. Um, and you had more on GST-free going concern? The Yeah, look, I've, as I said, I think we've t- talked about the initial adjustments, the later events. Okay. Um, and... Look, without getting into the nitty gritties of the divisions, there give the you know how the adjustments are made. Like the initial adjustment is is one tenth of the supply price times the proportion of non creditable use. Okay. Yep. So yeah, and then the, the uh, later events as well. That formula's applied. Yeah, to pay back some GST that. Otherwise, wouldn't have been. That was that was escaped in the first yeah. instance. Okay. Yep. There, that's that's probably our GST free queries. Okay. Yep. Um, look, an, another member rang. This is just probably topical with the new company tax rates. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the whole base rate entity definition and all that sort of thing. That's, yeah. Uh, confu- not confused, but yeah, I think that needs sort of underlining a few times to get firmly get that concept into 
people's brains. Um, what was the member ringing about? Yeah, and look, with this one, because of, yeah, it's been a, a fair bit, I suppose, about the 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 new base rate entity tests. Yeah. And, and yeah. I might just go through them. Sure, yeah. With, so, like, under the new base rate entity rules, if you've got an aggregated turnover less than the aggregated turnover threshold... Right, which is 25 million? Y- yep. So okay. that's 25 million last, uh, 2017-18. Okay, yeah. Um, 50 mil for 2019. Okay. And 80% or less of the assessable income is base rate entity passive income. Uh, right, yep. Right. Um, and there was going to be a carrying on a business test, which they've scrapped in favour of the 80% or less okay. assessable right. income mm-hmm. as base rate entity passive income. Yep. Then the 27.5% tax rate applies. Right. So otherwise it's 30%. Right. Now, the member's query was he had a holding company and that was receiving dividends from its subsidiary. Yep. And that's all it was receiving. So on face value, looking at that, you'd think that the um, income coming from the subsidiary to the holding company is passive income. That's passive income. (coughs) Passive income. Sure. So the holding company, you'd think on face value, subject to the 30% Uh, company tax rate. Tax rate, yep, yep. So uh, that's how it looked. But when we looked into a, and it's the Treasury Laws Amendment Enterprise Tax Plan Base Rate Entities Bill 2018, and the government's tax office brought out guidance on this, but we, the member was looking for something specifically in writing. I think as we all do as tax agents, you want something in writing you can put on your file. Yeah, of course. And um, he wanted something that could drill in, and there was something here in the explanatory memorandum at example 1.8, and it gave that exact situation oh, good. Um, of a holding company receiving dividend from the um, subsidiary. And, and in that case, even though it was, you know, you consider it to be um, passive income fully, 100% passive income, yeah, yeah. it's not considered base rate entity passive income. And the reason why it's a not what they call a non-portfolio dividend, making it non-base rate entity passive income. What does it mean, non-portfolio dividend? Is it not a, not a listed company, or no, no, no? It's just it's basically saying if you hold the voting interest of more than or at least ten percent of the voting power of that company, yeah, yeah, then that's defined as non-portfolio dividends. Oh, really? Oh, so, okay. so in that situation, the holding company, even though it's receiving one hundred percent of what you consider as passive income, yeah, because it was from non-portfolio um, dividends, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's okay for the twenty seven and a half percent company okay. tax rate to apply. Yep. So it's a it's a base rate um, entity. So it's good purpose. news. So it was good news. Yeah. yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike. Well, that's uh, there were some nitty gritty cases in there, but these are the sorts of things I suppose people don't ring up the helpline call for plain old questions. They save it their curly ones to uh, to call you guys. So th- thanks very much for that. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Uh, please stay tuned. Okay, I'm back. Uh, I haven't had a wacky tax factor or WTF for a little while, so I've got something here for you t- uh, today. Um, these are true, and they go back in, in time. Well, one of the first bit, bit does anyway. Um, it's, you could call it a urine tax. Yes, you heard right. So the story is, this is going back to Roman times. So it was during the first century. Um, the Roman emperor Vespasian imposed a urine tax, or in Latin, vectigal urinae, pardon my um, Latin pronunciation uh, academics out there, on the distribution of urine from public urinals 
connected to Rome's great sewer, or in Latin, Cloaca Maxima. So that's uh, just cleared up another little bit of trivia for around the barbecue, Cloaca Maxima. <laughs> so urine? Well, the urine was collected from public urinals and was sold as an ingredient for several chemical processes, as well as in the, the tanning process. It also whitened togas as it contained high levels of ammonia. Uh, so um, there you go, <laughs> yuck. But that's what uh, chemical uh, production and processes were back in the old Rome. Uh, the story goes that when Vespasian's son complained about the disgusting nature of this tax, his father held up a gold coin and asked whether his son felt offended by its smell, the smell of the coin. In, in, in legal circles, the phrase pecunia non olet, or money doesn't smell or stink, is still used today to indicate that the value of money is not tainted by its origins. That's interesting. So, anyway, on a related matter, let's talk about financial flatulence. Um, it's, it's perhaps a modern equivalent of the, uh, of the vectigal urinae. Is, um, has been dubbed m m most um, prominently by um, the tabloids or the red tops, as it's known in the UK, uh, dubbed a flatulence tax uh, because in Ireland and Denmark, for instance, along with other EU nations as well, um, they've begun taxing uh, some cattle owners on, on cow gas production or flatulence. Well, well, I'll get to that. Uh, the byproduct of this life of livestock, this byproduct of livestock, is responsible for about apparently 18% of greenhouse gases that are causing global warming. Uh, this is according to the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN. Now, uh, at about a, the equivalent of about 18 US dollars per cow in Ireland, uh, cow flatulence will cost Danish farmers about 110 US dollars per cow. Um, but note should be taken that the uh, uh, tabloid papers reports uh, calling it a flatulence tax is a, a, a little bit misleading as um, apparently most methane production is from the first stomach of bovine livestock and therefore a byproduct of burping rather than um, from the other end. And so this WTF or wacky tax fact comes to a close as does episode 179 of Tax Wrap. Hope you enjoyed uh, some of the uh, preceding. Please stay tuned for next time. Bye for now.